Hello and welcome to Sounds Strategic. I am Antonio Sampaio, Research Fellow for Conflict, Security and Development at the IISS. By now, listeners of Sounds Strategic have heard of the profound impacts of the COVID-19 pandemic on many areas of government spending and policies. One core area of government spending in which governments, especially Western ones, have spent significantly, uh, significant chunks of their budgets on is defense. This is now the subject of much debate. Will defense expenditure of many billions of dollars, uh, and in the case of NATO, over a trillion dollars in total, remain a, prior a priority after the pandemic has proven that health systems, internal infrastructure, and resilience are at least as critical for a nation's security and well-being? We at the IISS are lucky to have an authoritative defense and military analysis program that will help us analyze the impact of the pandemic on global defense spending. And I am joined today by the director of said program, Bastian Gigerich, and by our new colleague, who I haven't yet had the pleasure of meeting in person, but who is very welcome to the podcast, Fenella Magerti, Senior Fellow for Defense Economics. So let us start with a somewhat profound question. Uh, uh, perhaps Bastian could, could take this one um, that has been asked in recent weeks regarding the level of priority that should be assigned to defense budgets in view of COVID. One op-ed at the Financial Times even said, quote, the display of defense machinery now seems absurd, end quote. UK Defence Secretary Ben Wallace said that the debate is not just about sums of money, but also about cultural change. Bastian, we are now a few months into the pandemic. How do you see this debate shaping up? Is there a cultural change underway in the way we spend on defence? Thank you, Antonio. Well, and, and thank you for, for having us on, on this episode. Well, I, I would say one of the problems I have with, with those predicting very radical change is that uh, despite the pandemic, of course, any of the other security and defense problems that we had before, the risks and threats and challenges have not gone away. They, they are all still there. They all need to be dealt with. So uh, uh, those who are pursuing kind of a, a single track uh, conversation now uh, where it is all about the pandemic and all about uh, resilience uh, and, and, and dealing with a pandemic, I think are missing missing the bigger point that that all of the other threats are still there. So the issue is how do you how do you optimize uh, your spending and your defense posture in a context where you have to deal with multiple threat vectors with uh, multiple issues that are all quite different in terms of the requirements they they generate. So I think that's the bigger challenge. how do you how do you position yourself? at a time when it is clearly too expensive to prepare for everything that is out there, but where it is also very risky to over-specialize and only focus on a, on a small and narrow band of issues. So I think that will be the challenge. Uh, that won't be easy to resolve, but at the same time as such, uh, it is perhaps also not a new challenge. What I would say, though, is that I think uh, what we will see is a greater pressure on defense to perhaps uh, uh, explain itself and justify the expense that it that it draws, perhaps in in broader uh, societal and even economic uh, uh, terms. So 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 uh, expanding on perhaps the the utility 
um, for defense or of defense for for the nation's well-being, uh, prosperity, security, and those kinds of things. And I think there will be a pressure on defense to explain that a bit better, uh, to explain that in a broader sense, and explain that in a way that it that it supports the resilience narrative that that most people seem to be after these days. Mm -hmm. Fenella, um, what have you observed among the countries that have announced defense budgets uh, or budget reviews in, in, in recent weeks? I think a few of them have um, announced some, some, some things on, on, on that front, and especially in Asia, right? Absolutely. So again, thanks for having me today. I think so some countries have already announced adjustments to their, their 2020 defense budget. Um, several countries in Asia, so Indonesia, South Korea, Thailand, have redirected funds from defence towards crisis relief and economic stimulus. Um, in India, we saw that uh, their quarterly spending has been limited to about 20% of the annual total, and any new procurement programmes have, have been on, put on hold. So there are these um, developments coming through in, in Asia, and, what, and meanwhile in uh, the Middle East, uh, Saudi Arabia had already outlined a, a slight drop in the 2020 defence budget even before the pandemic and before the full effect of the current oil price collapse had transpired. Um, similarly, Bahrain and uh, Oman have also announced overall public spending cuts. We don't know how much uh, that will filter down into defence. Defence does tend to get uh, more ring-fenced from wider public spending contractions in these regions um, but it's it's quite it's quite important to note that in Asia while there have been some some reductions it's reductions in planned spending rather than uh, as compared to 2019 levels so we won't it, it points to the differences between regions in how they're responding in how defense expenditure might now move in the short term um, you know growth might slow in Asia Pacific but generally the outlook is still for growth, whereas uh, for North America and for Europe, the outlook is uh, slightly more negative. Mm. Bastian, one important defense budgetary announcement we have seen in recent weeks, even if involving smaller sums, came from the, the European Union um, with programs considered important for defense cooperation in the bloc, the European Defense Fund and Mobility Initiative. So have the revised budgets um, shown any um, reduction in prioritization of defense? Has that uh, affected defense cooperation in any way in the bloc, in your view? Yeah, that's an interesting question, Antonio. And there's quite a bit of pressure uh, there to make sure that, that defense uh, is uh, seen as a priority uh, in the bigger, um, bigger uh, multi-annual financial framework uh, conversation. However, um, when we look at what is now the plan, uh, we have to take one step back and, and remember that what is the European uh, Defence Fund uh, and initiatives around military mobility um, were meant to be flagship programs, really, and, and were meant to be uh, funded at a level uh, that then at the end of 2019, so before the pandemic hit, uh, were cut quite severely because member states uh, uh, could not really... Um, uh, could not really agree on how to allocate this funding. So now we have uh, an interesting effect that in the context of the pandemic, some money was reinserted into plans that had already been taken out before, but that reinserted money is still less than the original plan. So it's a classic 
do you think this is a glass half full or glass half empty uh, kind of situation? Uh, if you're if you're working in EU institutions, you probably think the fact uh, that uh, uh, about eight or nine billion uh, euros have been inserted now into plans, which still have to be agreed by EU member states. So it's not yet a final decision. Um, uh, that you you probably think that is a success. If you look at it from the perspective of what is perhaps required, maybe not quite uh, 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 such a success. So I think th I think the story there uh, is a mixed one, and I think the the big item so to speak for 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 Europeans is is perhaps that they tend to compare the speed at which they're moving to their own speed a few years ago you know and then say look at how much faster we are moving and and the decisions we're taking and and my argument has always been that's not really the the adequate and the correct comparison it doesn't really matter whether you are moving faster than you used to move it is really about are you doing enough to keep up or pull ahead of 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 the competition uh, and in an age of of renewed great power competition uh, i think what we're seeing now is better than nothing but i would argue uh, it is it is not it is not enough and the question really is uh, in that in those big recovery programs that are now being uh, discussed and launched in in europe will defense emerge as one of the strategic priorities within those or not i think the commission the european commission has sent a signal that it would like to hold on to the ambition uh, uh and member states i think have a much more mixed uh view of that and and so we'll have to see how that pans out uh but but we have this weird uh, up and down movement where there was a plan that was cut down severely and now uh we're back at uh, at a at a you know at, at a point uh, somewhere in between nothing and what was originally planned Fenella, how, how, what do you make of, of these trends in, in Europe? So I would agree that the, there has been progress, but um, and there is this, this recognition now that defence was cut quite severely in, in some countries uh, in the aftermath of the, the global financial crisis. And this sort of recognition that there were lessons learned going through that process, the need to, for instance, protect the supply chain, um, and bolster those efforts. So I think you do have that countering the the economic pressure to to make these cuts, to make these adjustments. There is also that counterbalance, as Bastian mentioned earlier, um, that security threats are still there. And also um, there were these uh, negative implications of the cuts from last time. So, and I think um, one thing that's, that's appealed to me is the dichotomy or the uh, relationship between commercial and defense within um, aerospace and defense industry uh, of, of Europe, we saw that kind of the commercial side would carry defense during the last crisis. And now obviously the commercial side is, is far more uh, impacted through this. So governments have started to uh, prioritize certain de defense programs in order to to continue and to uh, maintain local defence programmes and local defence industry, the supply chain. So that recognition does seem to be feeding through. Um, so I think that that can act as a, as a positive towards further uh, European um, bolstering of, of collaborative defence efforts as well. Mm. Um, not too long ago, defence spending, Fenella, within NATO countries was the subject of enormous political controversy between the Trump administration and European countries. So how is the this 
um, revision of uh, defense priorities affecting NATO? And do you see uh, a risk of the uh, uh, delicate balance that has been, I think, achieved between the Trump administration and Europe sort of being uh, disrupted? So um, the trend that comes through within Europe is that the, the bolstering of defense spending that has come through since kind of 2014 was largely due to a confluence of, say, three pillars. So you had the, the economic improvement, uh, where fiscal balances were healthy enough in order for countries to then enact these increases. The On the security side, the um, Russian annexation of, of Crimea boosted defence expenditure in Eastern Europe, and then that fed through to Western Europe as well. And then finally, the on the political side, you do have this pressure from allies and this sense of... Um, sort of an Asia pivot of the US and the need to then bolster your own domestic security efforts within Europe. So all of those factors did come to um, a confluence and that resulted in really strong increases in the last five years in European NATO spending. So we saw the recovery of spending back to 2009, kind of peak levels within Europe. But it's it's, it's one of those three factors, the, um, the sort of pressure from from the US in order to, to increase and bolster spending. Arguably, the other two pillars are equally, if not more important, because you cannot Im- implement defence budget increases without sound economic foundations. And you also can only do it when it's justified in, in response to security threats. So what's different now, as compared to the end of the, or going into the global financial crisis, is that the security threats within Europe like arguably the, the situation and the environment isn't as secure as it was. So when the cuts were made in the wake of the financial crisis, um, there wasn't that pressure on the security side to um, counterbalance those needs to improve fiscal balances. Whereas this time it's a, it's a very different environment. The economic conditions, the economic contractions are far more severe, uh, but you, it still needs to be weighed against um, those those other factors that are still still countering in. So if the US does seem to be or is seen to be kind of withdrawing away and there's a retrenchment back to bolstering domestic programs and retreating a bit from the world and reducing operational spending and international bases, then that can then, if anything creates greater impetus for Europe to bolster defence even further if Russia sees that as a weakening of NATO relations. Interesting. Uh, Bastian, how do you see these trends affecting NATO? I mean, I want to underline a point that I think is really important that that Fenella made a minute ago, and and it is about the fact that aerospace and defence uh, uh, aerospace in particular, will, will, or military aerospace in particular, will not be able to to rely on the on the commercial environment to kind of, you know, make up um, uh, any shortfalls. And I think that's really important. So I think what we might want to look for are are signs that governments decide if if they decide this is an important and strategic industry to them that they want to protect protect whether they whether they um, bring spending forward, for example, um, whether they make budget allocations. Uh, to spend money now that perhaps was was uh, budgeted f- for you know two or three years from now originally, 
um, uh, and try to thereby uh, support uh, uh, industry as well. Of course, there are limits to to you know how much you can do of this, but it'll be interesting to see. And we already have noticed that, that countries like Germany and some others have made provisions in their in their recovery plan for for those kinds of measures. So that'll be interesting to see. On the on the um, uh, bigger point that you were just discussing. Um, um, about transatlantic relations and and the trends we see we see there, I mean I agree with what what Fenella has said, and I think I think the the current I mean, we'll see what happens to this withdrawal uh, plan that that Trump kind of has announced, uh, but no one knows what precisely it says and whether it's even real. But but I think there's enough concern there for now uh, to to take it seriously and and independent of what the actual decision will be, and we don't know that yet. But but you know independent of that i think what it what the episode symbolizes is really a lack of strategic rationale from the u.s president when it comes to nato uh, and really uh, a lack of or or the absence of any meaningful consultation with allies and and if you think about what an alliance is meant to be about amongst allies it is about trust and predictable behavior so that you together then uh, can work together to meet to meet security threats, and that is independent of what now comes out of this episode, uh, is what is so damaging um, uh, in 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 the way Trump handles these these questions, and if the withdrawal were confirmed, uh, it it would undermine really efforts over recent years, including by the Trump administration, by the way, to reassure European allies. Uh, and, and it would undermine the deterrence and defense posture of NATO. We'll see what actually the outcome is, but but uh, I think um, what our analysis uh, at the ISS and, and the analysis of other people has, has shown uh, is really that Europeans remain militarily dependent on the U.S. in many ways uh, for the time being. So this conversation will make people think again about you know what is the right level of European strategic autonomy in defense how far should we be going uh, simply because it does not look as if the Trump administration takes the defense of Europe seriously. Uh, Fenella if we can um, shift gears to the um, defense industry and the business side of it that you 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 mentioned briefly before um, during the in the aftermath of the 2007 and 8 global financial crisis, um, exports of defense um, products to Asia and the Middle East uh, presented a key export market, particularly for the for the UK, and perhaps helped to prop up the defense industries at a time of reduced uh, Western government uh, expenditure in that. But this time, oil prices are um, depressed and uh, and the COVID pandemic impacts you know the whole world. So, um, are defense industries and businesses facing dark times ahead? Yes, absolutely. I think that the crucial difference between the economic crisis that we're, we're going into now and and the one that we went into back in um, two thousand and seven eight and the crunch that happened in two thousand and nine. The, the crucial difference is, how, is literally the global nature of this crisis and how it's affected all regions. So where before growth in Asia-Pacific and sort of to a lesser extent the Middle East, that did serve to counter those cuts in kind of your Western markets. But now the Middle East is, is struggling, even was struggling even before the, the COVID-19 um, impact on on. GDP growth and and fiscal balances, um, so countries were already looking at implementing p- 
public spending reductions in order to, to bolster those fiscal balances and uh, counter uh, the sort of increased debt levels. You, the, these countries sort of relied on their uh, reserves in order to get through uh, previous crises, but the oil price crash from 2014-15 and the ongoing subdued price since then has meant that this this market is now a lot more constrained than it than it was sort of 10 years ago so that as a is a crucial export market particularly for countries like the UK um so if 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 that starts to become a more constrained environment more competitive you then start to see countries pull away from from imports and look at their domestic programs they'll probably they're more likely to prioritize programs that include their domestic defense industry so what we did see previously was was an increase in the offering of more favorable contracts technology transfer industrial participation and that seems fairly kind of inevitable to happen again where in order to compete in in these countries you do have to uh, recognize that several of several of these members are, are looking to bolster their indigenous industries and uh, to to build up their domestic capabilities so all of that compounds into a great a great more competitive marketplace that that countries are now entering into and a more competitive marketplace for european defense companies to to sell their exports to mm. With after the the financial crisis, uh, and I think part of the recovery uh, of the post financial crisis defense ex- expenditure budgets uh, were related, I believe, to um, huge expenditures in Afghanistan and uh, in Iraq as well, which were much more um, uh, active for the US and, and its allies than than it is today. So I want to ask you, Fenella, um, do you think that the 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 bulk the 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 lump sum of defense budgets the numbers perhaps they don't reflect the whole story can can you still have a strong defense um basis and still be investing in defense in a in a sensible and 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 remain strong in defense without spending the same level as you were spending before the the covid pandemic i think that's a really interesting point actually because the outlook for say US defense spending the cuts um the potential cuts that might come through are less severe than they were in the since following the financial crisis and that's because there was that withdrawal from Iraq and Afghanistan because you had that uh, huge supplemental spending on overseas contingency operations uh, that added 800 billion dollars to the US defense budget over the 9 year period up to when when spending peaked in the US um so what looks like spending not recovering to these major, uh, these huge peak levels back in 2009 uh, among NATO is really because of that trend in the US where US spending doesn't look likely to recover to that level and notwithstanding another major security incident uh, on the scale of of 9-11 that would then prompt uh, the ramp up in um, sort of extra discretionary funding that would bolster the defense budget so we're now back at a, a defense budget level that is covering those um, new capabilities the the international operations and if that environment does become constrained generally what we find in the US is that defense budget trends there tend to track strategic factors rather than economic growth 
um i think just because the economy is is so uh sizable basically the, the defense budget can sort of withstand wider economic movements until you get to a major crisis so that withdrawal from iraq and afghanistan arguably uh, there was pressure to maybe speed that up in the wake of the the financial crisis and the contraction in the, the u.s economy so any movement towards that again from the u.s is um largely in keeping with past trends where international operational spending imports anything that doesn't bolster your domestic industry uh, kind of becomes at risk so yeah when you look at recovery rates you do have to consider what was driving that peak in the past and whether that's distorting the trend so european spending has recovered but there wasn't an overall overarching a huge ramp up of the scale that we saw in the us so uh it was quite important i think for european defense expenditure to get back to uh the levels that it was at in uh 2009 at least in real terms anyway mm. bastian do you think that um if budgets um the 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 maintenance of of defense budgets and expenditure in the more depressed levels that we are likely to see in 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 the wake of the covid pandemic does that necessarily reflect a weaker security of europe or the us against its perceived threats for instance russia or a rising china um do, do you think it's possible to make more with less money I think, uh, uh, Antonio, the, I mean, it's a very good question, but I think the, the answer is uh, history tells us that it's not possible um, uh, to, to, to do more with less. Um, that has been tried uh, uh, repeatedly in, in, in Europe, um, uh, but I think what we discussed earlier, the, the multitude of threats and the, the multitude of contingencies that need to be prepared for uh, militates uh, against uh, um, you know, specializing on a reduced budget, uh, and and those those issues are, are very real. Uh, we also, I think, uh, I think have to keep in mind that the challenge for Europe, for European armed forces, is really they need to do two things at the same time. They need to rebuild from some of the cuts that that did take place in the aftermath of the 2007-8 financial crisis, but also uh, uh, earlier uh, when that peace dividend was was uh, uh, brought in uh, after the end of the Cold War. So they have reduced quite a bit uh, in terms of, of structure and, and, and in uh, readiness and, and, and things like that. But they also have to prepare for the future. And that is not about rebuilding capability you have lost, but really uh, investing in innovation, investing in future capability. And that is um, not a cheap thing uh, to do at the same time. So, so uh, if we see, should we see, should we see significant cuts uh, in European defense budgets over the next couple of years? Uh, I think it will make achieving those things will will become more difficult. Uh, achieving higher readiness levels will become more difficult. Rebuilding some of the hollowed out force structures will become more difficult, uh, and and that means vis-a-vis um, -vis, uh, Russia, uh, deterrence and defense would be weaker as a result. And vis-a-vis -vis China, which I don't think is on most Europeans' radar, but I think uh, it should be uh, for a number of reasons. First, because uh, it is on the US radar. So the question is, what can Europeans backfill in case 
there is a, a conflict between the U.S. and China, and the U.S. pulls out capability from Europe and puts it into Asia-Pacific. And then second, because some European countries will, will want to think through what their expeditionary contribution uh, uh, to an Asia-Pacific contingency uh, uh, will be. So, so those are unfortunately big things to think about. They, they are not cheap things. Um, uh, and and rebuilding and innovating uh, and preparing for the future at the same time uh, is is so much more is so much harder uh, if your budget goes down. Yeah. Uh, Fenella, uh, Buster mentioned China and the Asia Pacific. Uh, China recently announced um, uh, uh, its its budget for for. Um, for the next year, and um, even though it's uh, it, it increased at a slower rate than than in previous years, it's still a, a, a significant increase. So I want to ask you, um, how do you see the Asian um, countries, uh, particularly China, how fiscally prepared they are? They have been doing so well in recent years and decades that I think they they might. You know, be able to withstand, um, re retain a significant expenditure in defense despite all the impact of COVID, where some Western countries um, might not be able to do the same. Do, is is that a correct assessment? How do you see these these trends in the Asia Pacific? Yeah, I think that's correct. Where the regional differences and the regional responses do vary, and I think Asia Pacific is one where we might see growth slow down, but we would expect to still see growth in the next, in the short term at least, uh, simply because there had already been growth built within defense expenditure for several countries. And while some spending has had to be reallocated, that simply means that, that growth is lower rather than, than actual cuts. Uh, some countries have had to make cuts, but um, I would expect that to be uh, fairly short-lived uh, simply because the, the economic consequences for, for Asia Pacific aren't as severe as they look to be for uh, the US and uh, the Eurozone. So if we assume, say, GDP growth returns to a more stable level, sort of 3% a year again, then you should see sort of similar rates of, of defense expenditure in, in Asia. So while, you know, North America uh, doesn't necessarily track economic growth, I think you could argue that the economic growth within Asia Pacific has fostered uh, this environment where defence where defence spending increases have sort of followed suit, um, so conditions are likely to kind of vary country to country. Um, I think countries like um, perhaps Malaysia, Pakistan, Indonesia will find that their defence spending is under more pressure. But um, on the more positive side, you have countries like Australia. So um, you know, there's statements from various countries that defence will be protected, strategic concerns will keep spending rising in countries like Korea and Taiwan. So it's it's a bit of a mixed bag, but on the regional level, we would expect growth to slow but continue and recover faster. Whereas in um, the European and US uh, members, then I would say the contractions will be slightly lagged and the more severe uh, effects will come in a bit later, sort of 2021, 22. Sure. 
Thank you very much, Fenella, and to Bastian as well. And thank you for listening to us. Uh, please subscribe to Sound Strategic for more in-depth discussions like this and to keep up to date with the latest trends in international security and armed conflicts. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram and other social media. See you next time.